These days, so many people are so stressed out about the jobs and, and feeling the pressures of their industry and looking for some way to get out. And a lot of people are leaving their jobs and, and trying to find greener pastures. And with so many people dreaming of starting over, what I keep hearing is, I'm just going to quit and go work in the cannabis industry. It's the modern equivalent of saying, I'm going to run off and join the circus. But the reality is more challenging, and it's a highly regulated and complex industry. It's illegal on the federal level, so you're at the mercy of state regulations and an ever-changing political environment. Then you have to be able to produce and sell a fairly technical and complex product that requires a high level of service and expertise to the customer. Making money in the business is not quite as straightforward as you might think. One thing that we have seen is that the cannabis industry has done very well during the pandemic. It was considered an essential business in most parts, and people have been taking advantage of that while locked down. Now, there have also been a lot of positive signs about the benefits of the cannabis industry, certainly in pain treatment, but also in the reduction of opioid use and related deaths. Um, States have benefited from the additional tax revenue. In my own town here in Evanston, Illinois, the city has earmarked taxes from cannabis sales to be put towards reparations. So with that said, what does it take to be successful in the business? Today, I'm going to be talking to a successful cannabis entrepreneur to answer that very question. everybody, welcome back to another Future Tech video podcast. The audio version of the podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the others, or you can find it at futr.buzzsprout.com. Today I have with me cannabis entrepreneur and founder of Dispensary 33 here in Chicago, Zachary Zeises. Dispensary 33 was one of the first and most successful dispensaries in Chicago. They've grown with the rise of medical cannabis to adult use, recreational sales, and they have built a large and loyal customer base for both medical and recreational sales with their artisanal, consultative, high-touch approach to the business. Now they are looking to grow their footprint and to get into the grow side of the business. I'm so excited to learn more about the industry and what it takes to be successful. Welcome, Zachary. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Happy to talk to you. You were you're in the weed business. You got a dispensary, and um, just as you were getting everything sorted out for adult use recreational weed, you got hit with the pandemic, and then had to switch everything over and adapt everything uh, while all this other chaos was going. Tell me about a little bit about how how the pandemic hit you. Listen, it didn't hit us nearly as badly as it's hit so many other industries, the reality is with cannabis, the, the pandemic hasn't reduced demand. So it's just a question of changing our operations to accommodate the health needs of our staff and, and the customers coming in. Uh, before the pandemic, we had a business model we're really proud of. We were the only dispensary in the state of Illinois that actually displayed all their products so that everyone could see the flower, specifically the flower, but we display everything. With flower, the visuals tend to be a little bit more important than with other product categories. Uh, and I know on the West Coast, this is just how business is done, but in Illinois, it really isn't. So we're really proud of the fact that customers would come in, they'd see the flower, 
there'd be in-depth descriptions right next to the flower. And we wanted people to be in there spending time uh, learning, asking all the questions they had, et cetera. And our whole business model was predicated on that. And with COVID, none of that was possible. We switched to an online pre-order system only protocol and we turned into a shop that could turn around a customer in two and a half minutes. And so I was watching on cameras to make sure that everything was flowing as safely and quickly as possible. And that, and that was the number, two and a half minutes in and out the door, unless people use the ATM and that was another 75 seconds or so. So it, it reoriented everything about how we do what we do. And it, it didn't hurt us economically, thankfully, uh, but it, it sort of hurt our sense of ourselves and, and how we want to operate. Well, you guys are very high touch kind of operation. I mean, I think that's what people appreciate about your facility in general is that you have a lot of knowledgeable people who are helping people through the process and, and the selection process and, and, and figuring out the, the appropriate kind of treatment. So that must have been really a big shift for you. Yeah, it was. It was it was uncomfortable. And we and we still tried to do everything we we could to engage people as much as as made sense or as much as they needed. But it really it, it stopped being how we defined ourselves as a as a corporate culture to um, to, to a luxury that we only afforded those who really needed it. And there's so much you know, there's so much knowledge that people don't have in this space you know customers whether for medicinal needs or recreational needs there's uh, this is such a, a new field of science and experimentation there's 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 so much back and forth that we want to engage in that has been curtailed yeah well i mean do you do you feel like this is going to be kind of a little bit the new normal i mean do you, do you see going forward that this is kind of the way everything is going to continue I think in perpetuity, people will be more comfortable in a pre-order system. They'll, obviously, people order online more. And when it comes to products, other products, I think similarly, they're going to be comfortable ordering ahead of time, picking it up, in, enjoying that convenience. So there's always, I think there's going to be a larger subset of people who are going to continue to be happy pre-ordering. And then it'll give us more time, frankly, to spend with those who want more of an interactive experience. I know, yeah. you know, for myself, I have a wine shop down the street and, and wine is sort of similar to, to flower in a lot of ways. It's a curated product. Uh, I don't know very much about wine. I, I kind of have an idea of what I like and, and, you know, my local store is the same thing. It's, it's pre-order only. And I, I can never go inside the store. All my sales happen sort of at the street. And I've adjusted to it. it. It doesn't make me nearly as happy as it used to. Yeah, well, I, I got to say, I prefer to going to my local wine shop over Binnie's any day. So, I mean, I think that sort of high-touch artisanal sort of yep. feel to it is a real advantage for you. You and I live, live close to each other. I have never stepped foot inside that Binnie's. I just, <laughs> I just opposed to the business model, you know? I yeah. really love my local, my local store, and I buy all my alcohol there, whether it be, even though it's a wine shop, they also have some beer and some liquor, and I, I, I just want that that touchy feely experience. I want to know who's, who's curating the selection and, and, and I, I want them to understand me. So they're going to make the best choices for me. And this, yeah. you know, we, that's what we want to do at the dispensary as well. Uh, and we still do, but not to the degree we used to. 
Yeah. Well, and I, 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 you know, you deal with a very vulnerable population. So, you know, what, what, do you, what have you had to do to, uh, I mean, maybe you've always been, you know, very sensitive to that and, and, and help and their needs. Um, has the pandemic changed anything around that? Thankfully, Illinois has this caregiver loss. So anyone who feels especially vulnerable can always assign a caregiver to come in and do their shopping for them. Uh, Illinois law also currently, there's been a variance from the law and executive order by the governor allowing us to execute sales on the street or you know outside of the sort of very restricted area. Be careful when uh, you say street. I yeah, understandably, <laughs> and uh, none of the staff are really that excited about transacting on a street curb. It, it's not a good look. You know, we are in the middle of the city. I think it makes more sense for other dispensaries outside the city that have parking lots and and they can have designated parking spots. For us, it's not awesome. We will accommodate people who feel that, you know, that need to to purchase that way, but we definitely try to not have too much of that. Do you think, uh, you know, a lot of other states have delivery. Do you think Illinois will ever get to the delivery point? You know, Illinois has functioned so differently than so many other states up to now. I think that'll be a process. You know, Illinois passed the adult use law last June. It went into effect in January. The first part of that, the first phase was getting new licensees up, social equity dispensaries, social equity, craft grow and processors. Uh, And along with that, there was actually a transportation license as well. Uh, But that's just to go from license to license facility rather than to customers. And the delays in in, in just phase one are, are so significant we should already have a new round of dispensaries um, operating now. And we are, we are an untold number of months away from even knowing who the licensees are. Everything's tied up in lawsuits, et cetera. So yeah. the idea that Illinois is going to now create an entirely new class of licensees empowered to deliver directly to customers, it's, uh, it's far-fetched to think that'll be any time in the near future. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, on that point, on sort of like Illinois' regulatory environment, you know, I know, you know, you were one of the first dispensaries in Chicago, if not the first dispensary in Chicago, and um, and I know you went through a lot to get that open, right? And I know, you, and you're working on getting another uh, dispensary and, and and a grow right, operation right. as well. Right, Can you speak? Right. I mean, everybody sort of has this fantasy: I'm going to run away and 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 you know, for my crap job and I'm going to start up in the weed business and become a billionaire, you know, um, you know, it's, I, I, it sounds glamorous, but I'm sure it's not quite that simple. You know, can you, can you explain a little bit of like your process of what, what you had to go through to, to open your dispensary? Sure. So first off, it's important to realize that there is no weed industry. There's, there's 50 plus weed industries because every state is its own unique environment. We've been, as a business owner in Illinois, we've been incredibly fortunate because Illinois now is currently a, an adult use state in which anyone over the age of 21 can purchase cannabis, but it's also a limited license state. So there's only so many dispensaries and the law has a sort of multi-phase strategy for getting more dispensaries open, but there's sort of a, a, a finite number to what, to what the cap will be based on the current law. Of course, these things can always change. When you look at other states, it just plays out very differently for the business owners when the the number of licenses isn't limited. So in Illinois, this was really the first state that engaged in a limited license um, merit-based application process. And Mm -hmm. after us, we saw Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, 
Maryland, we do, we saw a, a bunch of other states follow the Illinois model. But what it said was we're going to have, uh, in this case, I believe 60 was what the law allowed. So we're going to open up 60 dispensaries. One entity can only own up to five. And in order, you're going to have to, we're going to break it down into district. And for the application, you're going to have to demonstrate that you control a compliant piece of property. And then you're gonna to have to answer all these questions about security and operations, et cetera. Uh, and we're gonna score it and the winner, it's sort of a winner take all situation. So we got lucky. We we found, we only were savvy enough or were interested in opening up near where we live in, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we found a piece of real estate that worked. And we did our best. We didn't know what a good application really looked like. We did. We weren't. We were just sort of guessing, and so was everyone else at that stage. So, yeah. we were fortunate enough. There, there wasn't very much competition. The industry was new. There's a lot of risk in getting involved in an industry where the federal government is um, calling you an illegal drug dealer. Uh, yeah. That'll put a lot of people off. And then there's additional laws around taxation that can make operating a dispensary uh, really onerous. You, you, you might think you've made money. And then the IRS comes along and said, well, you've actually, from our accounting standpoint, have made five times what you think you made. And we're going to tax you at that 5x rate. And now all of your profits have disappeared. So yeah. it was just the application. And we won uh, this you know, for our district. And so we got a license. And we just jumped through all the hoops. There's, there's challenges you don't even know you're going to encounter. We had a uh, security provider, a well-known national, nationally known security provider. And, and what we didn't know was, oh, we should not put the name cannabis or anything obvious in our business <laughs> name because we need to hide it. And I was just too naive to realize that it, our original name was called the Cannabis Group. And we're like, cool, nobody else has taken that LLC name in Illinois. Great, we got it. And we're filling out paperwork and we're listing our company as the cannabis group and the security providers. Like, I can't, of course, the local rep knew who we were, but he's like, I can't, I, I need to hide this. Because yeah. because the because the company has a policy against transacting with people breaking federal law. And that happened sort of at every at every stage where other people can easily open a bank account. They can easily get it. You just, there are people whose job it is to perform services. You pay them money and they perform the service for you. This is pretty standard uh, capitalism. This is how it yeah. works. But when you're an illegal <laughs> drug dealer, it doesn't work like that. You have to scratch and claw to figure out how to accomplish basic goals. Yeah. Well, and and it's it's been really tricky because I, I know like for one thing, you when you talk about taxes, you guys can't write off your business expenses because it's it's an illegal business, right? So there's a piece of tax code called uh, 280E, IRS tax code 280E, which says that if you're engaged in a federally illegal activity and you profit from that, then you may only di- deduct the direct cost of goods sold. So everything mm-hmm. related to rent, labor, etc. is not a tax deductible expense. And this is how, I mean, listen, uh, when you, when the federal government figures out that there's a tool that's effective, they're going to use it in every which way possible. So I think this tool was first used against Al Capone in the 20s. And that's how he went to jail. 
And Bring it right back to Chicago. Uh, exactly. And now they're like, cool. Uh, even though, even though this is these, all these states are in cahoots, we're still, we're still going to use this tax code to, to penalize people engaging in behavior that the federal government has sort of capriciously decided it doesn't like. Yeah, well, and, and uh, you know, I know that, um, you know, that's obviously been a challenge, and, and it's sort of shifting sands, too. I mean, the previous administration had implemented the Cole Memorandum, which sort of took some of the pressure off, but then this current administration has sort of rescinded that, but there's sort of just enormous gray areas about what the hell's going on. I mean, not just with cannabis business, with everything, but, uh, you know, especially in this area, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of gray area to it, right? Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, the reality is that government is a multi-pronged beast, and it doesn't speak with one voice, and it doesn't behave in concert with itself. And so you're constantly navigating different aspects of government at the local, state, federal level, all of which are working to different ends with different directives. And it is definitely complicated, but at the end of the day, if you're able to succeed in a business that's complicated and that puts off a lot of other people, well, then, you know, you have diminished competition and, and that's usually a, a good situation to find yourself in. Yeah, well, I mean, don't, don't do the easy thing. Do the hard thing because uh, there's going to be yeah, more value in it, right? at it, and if you, if you get behind the walled garden, then you're like, <laughs> you're living it up in the garden and everyone else is on the other side. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in addition to that, I mean, like, you know, we talk about Illinois, the regulatory environment. I know that you had a lot of challenges just, you know, like finding a location, for example. I, you know, that, sure. that was a really, really tricky piece for you. And just, you know, getting the correct information to like, where can you even put this thing? Right. Yeah. The real estate piece ended up being really significant. The application was sort of like the SATs with real estate. And the real estate was made difficult by the fact that you had, there were setbacks from schools and from daycares. And mm -hmm. they didn't say, uh, listen, there's different kinds of daycares. And if you leave the, that term as broadly as possible, then you're also including home daycare. And yeah. there are a ton of, of women specifically, but I'm sure there are some men, but, you know, parents, single parents who are, are going to take care of their kids at home and they're going to try to earn a little money by bringing in three or four or five other kids and that, and they're going to have to get a license to do it. And now they're a registered home daycare. And these are everywhere in the city of Chicago in yeah. particular. And so finding an area that was 1500 feet from a home daycare, as well as a school, uh, ended up being a really onerous challenge. But like I said, I didn't have a lot of competition. And yeah. so that's, that's the, that's the upside. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that, you know, there, there's, um, because you have to deal so much in cash because you don't have federal banking, you know, to, to rely on. Um, I, I know there's a lot of challenges with that in terms of crime and, and, you know, you, you have to have a lot of security equipment, a lot of security protocols, uh, you know, to keep everybody safe and keep your money protected. You, you, Listen, you let, me, let me start by saying we have very little cash in my facility at any given time. Uh, we, listen, uh, we have a bank account, right? Yeah. So, and we've always had, a, we had a, a two month period where a bank got out a bank that was supporting probably 60% uh, of the state of Illinois cannabis industry just decided to flip the switch and, mm. and leave. And that was a problem for a little bit. Um, imagine. Here's a good story. So um, just getting back to Al Capone, there's a famous bank called, I think, 
uh, Bridgeview Bank right on Lawrence and Sheridan, which sure. is right across the street from the Green Mill Lounge. <laughs> and the Green Mill Lounge is an old speakeasy from back in, in the day. And I, I'm sure you've spent time there, Chris. Oh, there yeah. is a trap door behind the bar to get down to where they store the liquor. And that trap door doesn't end at the bar. There is a tunnel yeah. down there that goes kitty corner to the, I, I don't know if it goes directly to the bank, but that bank is kitty corner there. Anyway, yeah. the safe deposit area in that bank is a national landmark. And <laughs> it is where Al Capone would come in with suitcases of cash. And they have extremely large uh, security deposit, safe deposit boxes in the back there. And <laughs> that was like for Al and his buddies. And I started keeping my weed cash there uh, because I didn't have a bank. And it was like, I was like living, I was living the prohibition dream for a moment. So anyway, we have, we have a bank now. Uh, we get cash, you know, our cash leaves the shop nearly daily. And, and, and it's a strange circumstance, right? Because it's federally illegal, but at the same time, there was the coal memorandum, which was predicated on helping bank the industry because mm -hmm. the federal government very much has an interest in not having all this cannabis dollars just freely floating out in the space. It, yeah. it, it's been actually really disruptive to the Denver housing market. The fact that you've got a lot of people with a lot of cash and what do they do with it? A lot of times they put it into real estate and it has driven up the, the market there beyond, beyond reason to, to certain. Wow. And, um, and we haven't seen, first of all, this is a much bigger state <laughs> and Chicago is a much bigger city than Denver, and we're not selling nearly as much weed as they are out there. But at the right. same time, because we're so strictly regulated, it's given a lot more comfort to the banking industry to say, okay, we can satisfy the federal need for oversight uh, and, and, bank, and bank this industry. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it, it's funny. I mean, you bring up Al Capone. I mean, um, you're, you're, you're kind of uh, taking the market from the illegal uh, – legal market right i mean you, you you've, you're you've probably got a lot of competition from the guy on the corner you know selling selling weed right I, listen uh, god, god bless the guy on the corner i i, I don't I, <laughs> I have no interest in putting the guy on the corner out of business he serves a need um, uh, listen i have to the stuff we're selling is grown under incredibly stringent circumstances right with all these regulations <laughs> and all of these restrictions about what uh, you know, what chemicals they can use in the growing process, what chemicals they can use in the extraction process and, and what levels of impurity they can have post extraction. Uh, there's, there's, there's so much regulation that is awesome for the consumer who's concerned a, that their product be safe and, and B that they know exactly what their product is. Yeah. And in exchange for that, you're going to pay more money. You're going to pay more money because it's more expensive to produce, and also because the the man's going to tax the heck out of that out of that stuff, right? So, flour we tax at twenty six percent, and 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 uh, cartridges at forty one percent, and I'm not even including the wholesale tax that happens, a seven percent transfer right. tax from from the cultivator to the dispensary. So you're over fifty percent on some of this product, and so that guy. Wow. Listen, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that the weed that they're selling isn't, isn't 
garbage coming up from Mexico anymore. We've like really put the, the illegal Mexican cannabis trade out of business. And so mm-hmm. for the most part, it's, it's higher quality stuff anyway. It's either locally grown by guys who are, are pretty good at what they do, or it's dropping off the, the back of the truck in Oregon and grown pretty well there as well. So I, I get it. There's, there's a big enough, there's a big enough space, man. There's a lot of room here for, <laughs> for a lot of different sellers and yeah. uh, people who have a guy on the street, they trust and like, and have been working with for a long time. Like, stay on the street you're good <laughs> well you know it, it's interesting because i think th- there's a lot of value to you know really understanding the provenance of what you're getting and yeah. and making sure sh- I, I think the regulatory environment um you know from what i understand has made illinois a very strong player because by setting a standard for how everything has to be you know you know there's no pesticides there's no mold fungus you know things like that that all the unknown impurities that could creep in into these things i mean you're getting a very yeah pure product and you know what the dosages are right i mean and i think that that sort of distinguished illinois hasn't it listen the whole thing that happened with the vitamin the vitamin e acetate in um in cartridges like that did not touch illinois that there was no processor out of illinois who was involved in any of that and frankly our cartridge sales didn't even go down during Mm. during that whole situation because uh because we've earned the confidence as an industry and as a state, we've earned the confidence of our customers. You know, in contrast, I know Michigan uh, just sort of ramped up their program from being, I can't, I, I haven't followed Michigan that closely, but I know they've moved to, to a more adult use model. And like yeah. every week there's recalls out of Michigan, right? Uh, because it, it, it didn't start in a very regulated place and it's a hard transition to go to regulation. California has certainly seen that this year as well. Yeah. Uh, when people who are not used to coming under a full regulatory environment, it, 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 it's a, a learning curve. And in yeah. Illinois, because the, the number of licensees has been so restricted. It's it, it gives the state a lot of oversight, and you know there's pluses and minuses. But on the plus side is it's it's been been very safe, and it's operated by operators who think from a compliance and regulation first perspective. And that's yeah. not that's not what's happening out of Michigan or California. It's just a different just a group a different group of people who have control of those industries. You know, those guys are, those guys are weak people who now have to figure out how to be in, in compliance. And, and Illinois is more like started from business people for whom compliance was, was built into how they understand the world, who then had to get, who had to hire the right people to figure out how to do, do well at weed. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, Illinois was the first state to legalize cannabis uh, through legislation, sure, and I think that gave, that afforded Illinois an opportunity to really, you know, get it as right as you can get it. I think, right? And I, th- I think Illinois, from the perspective of of the lawmaker, yes, right. <clears throat> I, from the perspective of the lawmaker, they got to build the law that enabled them to maintain as much control as yeah. possible. And so, and again, that's the pluses and minuses. If you go to a state where, if you go to um, uh, Oklahoma. I think, which passed by referendum. And it's like a medical law there, but it's like anything goes. There's a million licensees. Anyone who wants one can get a license. And I haven't really been following it, but it's it's the Wild West and there's no way yeah. they're producing at the level of quality we are. I'm going to imagine it's quite a bit cheaper. But, but you know, this is the plus and the minus of anything. And I, I respect anyone who's like, look, that's you guys in Illinois have have sort of sold your soul to, to the rich white man, right? Uh, <laughs> um because that's who controls the industry here by and large 
Yeah, well, and, and Illinois has produced some of the biggest cannabis operations uh, in the country, too. Yeah, right? that's right, right? Because when you succeed in states with limited licenses, you're sort of guaranteed a market share, you're guaranteed profitability. And so these guys who figured out how to do very well in the application process took that model from Illinois and went to these other states I mentioned, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Ohio, et cetera. And uh, have been, you know, have been increasing their uh, their markets and and doing well. So I, I, on that note, I mean, wh- where do you see like the biggest opportunities in the country? I mean, like what markets are like the real big hot growth ones right now? So just going back to what I said before about the fifty different markets, right? Yeah, the, uh, it is. It is incredibly rare. I think Nevada shares this with Illinois in common, which is, okay, we're going to let anyone buy weed who's an adult and we're going to restrict the number of licenses. That is a very unique financial circumstance to come into. And, and, and for me personally, to make it, listen, I'm not like the world's best business, small business operator. Like, I don't want to go to Oregon and, and take my brand there and stake my flag, you know, three doors down from the next guy and then have 500 dispensaries within two miles of each other. Like, that's not worthwhile to me. And so you can look at a state like New York and say, okay, this is going to be a ginormous market. Uh, I can't wait for it to go legal. And what I would say is maybe, but let's see how it goes legal. Uh, We'll only know from the licensee standpoint, right? Not thinking about the ancillary businesses, from the licensee standpoint of being a grower, a processor, a retailer, perhaps a home delivery guy, depending on how the law plays out. Let's just see what the law looks like and, and determine what the pluses and minuses of operating there are. If, If you're, if you're a national brand, if you're a Cresco or GTI, you sort of have to go everywhere anyway. It's baked into your long-term business goals. But as a as a small business operator, you you don't have that kind of runway. You want to go to places where you can make money. So, what do you see as um, the next great thing for the for the cannabis industry? Where, where do you see it all going? Do you see it being legalized, uh, marijuana being descheduled by the next administration? What what, what do you see? Oh, happening? sort of at the federal level, I think. Listen, I'm going to assume that we have a change in administrations at the at the presidential level. Uh, knock on some wood there. Um, and I think what happens first is we get the Safe Banking Act. And the Safe Banking Act has been uh, going around Congress for a little bit, and the Democrats are pretty strongly behind it. And, and what that tries to do is say, okay, putting aside the fact that cannabis is still a Schedule One controlled substance, which is what makes it illegal um, from, a, from a, a legal standpoint. Uh, let's put that aside and just say, okay, uh, we're going to allow the financial industry to interact with the cannabis industry as though it were as though it were legal. And so businesses like Cresco and GTI, who are now listed on the Toronto, Toronto, Toronto Stock Exchange, I think, or Canadian Stock Exchange, one or the other, uh, we're going to allow them to now list on the New York Stock mm-hmm. Exchange. Credit card companies that I current I currently can't use, I'll be able to use, yeah. et cetera. So it'll so that'll I think that'll be the first piece. The second piece uh, regarding how we transfer it, excuse me, from from being illegal is can go a couple of different directions. For one thing, the reason why it's illegal, as I said, is because it's listed as a as a Schedule One controlled substance on the the Controlled Substance Act of 1974. 
And they can either reschedule it, uh, which means take it from a schedule one to some other schedule. This is not the preference of the industry. If you do that, let's say you call it a schedule two and, and now you're like, okay, you know, we're going to treat it like an opioid. So instead of saying it has no medicinal value, we're going to say it has medicinal value. Well, if you do that, now everything comes under the purview of the FDA. And if I'm going to sell a Schedule II controlled substance, now I have to be a pharmacy and I'm falling under this entire regulatory regime that frankly is way beyond anything I, I could hope to, to figure out. Right. Or you could call it a Schedule Five controlled substance, which I think is what alcohol is. Uh, but again, all of those circumstances involve the federal government putting its putting its tendrils into an industry that is already mature in a lot of ways and that it knows nothing about. Yeah. And so the preference is to do something called descheduling, which is okay. We're going to just absent it from the Controlled Substance Act altogether, and we're going to devolve regulation to the states and allow them to deal with it any way they want. And in that situation, we're still not going to have, you know, in Canada, for instance, they have cannabis flowing through the mail system mm -hmm. legally. We're not going to have that here. Uh, the federal government's not going to allow that to happen. We're not going to have, uh, we're not going to have cannabis going from California and legally being driven out to Illinois or wherever its states are still going to have control. And so the programs as they currently exist will remain in, in their incarnation and change only as the states would have it. And I, I think that provides the greatest stability and, and hopefully the direction that the federal government goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be really interesting to see because I know that you know, Joe Biden has, has said he, he was interested in legalizing marijuana and expunging records for you know, drug offenses and things like that. And, you know, obviously the current administration is more hostile towards legalization. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out in a week or two here. Yeah, right. And when Joe Biden says legalized, does he actually even know what he's saying? Yeah. Like, like genuinely, I think you assume legalization is the opposite of illegalization. <laughs> and, and to some degree, that's true. But there's just a lot of different ways that can be done. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns about a Biden administration. Is he somebody who has genuinely, who genuinely appreciates the debt he owes to the sort of younger progressives? Uh, or is he, uh, you know, a stodgy old baby boomer <laughs> who is going to hold on to some of those, you know, more old fashioned views? I honestly, I have no idea. Well, we'll find out pretty soon, I think. God willing. <laughs> yes. Please. Um, I, I, I listen, nothing, nothing will make me happier than being disappointed in a Joe Biden administration. Because <laughs> yeah. that means we don't have a second Trump administration. So, so tell me what's next for you. What's next for you and your dispensaries? And where, where are you going? Well, listen, we have, a, we have a lot of stuff happening in Illinois right now. Uh, I have a second dispensary I need to open up, hopefully in the West Loop, hopefully in just a few weeks' time. And we have this round of, of social equity dispensary licenses that will hopefully get awarded. And we were involved in helping a, a bunch of teams put together those applications. And hopefully there's a role for us in helping those teams get operating. And the same thing on the craft grows side where uh, hopefully those licenses will get distributed. And some of the teams we helped uh, put together their applications, we can help get up and running and operational as well. And so currently the, the focus is on Illinois. There's, there are opportunities out there. There hasn't been a lot going on legislatively because uh, understandably legislatures have had other things to worry about in the last few months. Yeah. But the reality is 
that money, I think, is going to talk and these states need all the dollars they can get. Uh, and they're going to look at the states that have legalized and say, you know, the sky is not falling in those places. They can see it. They can see it anywhere they want to see it. They can go to any state they want that has legalized cannabis in any way. And the positives far outweigh the negatives, both in terms of the health, the health outcomes of the population, certainly as regards opioid addiction, overdoses from opioids, and then as well as the financial benefit as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, one last question. So if, if somebody was like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and I, I'm going to go get into the weed business, what's your advice to them? Uh, don't, uh, I'm going to say, don't get into the weed <laughs> business. Figure out exactly where and what and what your competitive advantage is. Don't, um, yeah, don't, I, I'm, a, I'm a conservative guy when it comes to risk taking. I, I need to understand <laughs> what the, where the upside is before uh, I'm going to go, go ahead and quit my day job. So, so understand w where you're going to succeed and, 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 and what hole you're filling. Because it's not obvious that, that those are out there and that they're available to some new entrant in the industry. Yeah, well, I got to imagine like a great opportunity for you, somebody who's been there and done it, is on the consulting side too and helping others navigate the landscape, the regulatory and compliance landscape, setting things up, selling, you know, all those things. I, th I imagine there's, there's quite a opportunity there for you and that if you ever wanted to do that right yeah and I, I actually have done that uh in places and it's been a great learning experience for me um I, I go i go back and forth you know sometimes the the business i have already needs needs me a little bit more than other times the reality is i'm not awesome at um uh i'm not awesome at day-to-day -day management it's not it's not my strong suit like managing people not no one really wants to be managed by me uh, <laughs> for good reason. So uh, listen, I, I, I'm in an awesome position where the company doesn't need me on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I'm free to figure out different projects, different things to do. Um, I presume Illinois is going to keep me busy for a while, but if opportunities open elsewhere, sure. Uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll go to where the fun is and where the action is. Yeah, well, and I got to imagine if everything's uh, legalized in one form or another, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for other ancillary businesses that, that will exist in that ecosystem. So yeah, maybe the opportunity isn't in dispensing or growing, but in providing services, right? Yeah, and, you know, for instance, I can tell you that dispensary software is god-awful. You know, uh, our POS systems are god-awful. But there's a reason why, which is that we, you know, if you're if you're if you're creating restaurant POS systems, where you're going to have thousands and thousands of potential customers, if yeah. you create uh, my POS system, it's not going to travel very well. Or for it to travel well out of the state of Illinois, you're going to have to do essentially, you know, a, a, a ground up reboot of the whole thing. And so, and then you're still only going to have a hundred customers to even potentially have. And so yeah. what's, you know, so that's why there's just not enough demand to drive the supply for those ancillary businesses by and large. It's not that there aren't any, any people who do it, but the field gets really crowded and unprofitable pretty quickly. Well, and it's complicated software too, because you're, you're interfacing with state, state systems and that's going to be different for every single state. That's what right? makes it a ground up uh, build, yeah. right? Is because every state 
is going to have a different inventory tracking system and your POS system is serving two totally separate masters. One is on the inventory tracking side and the other is on the sales side. Yeah. That's yeah. not fun. And definitely tricky business. Yeah, definitely, definitely tricky. tricky business. Well, you seem to be you seem to have managed it and navigated those waters very well. You you you've actually been very successful in this business so far and and uh, congratulations on that and Excellent. you know, hopefully yeah, hopefully it continues to be as successful as it has been and you you grow in the business and continue to have fun doing it. So Well, with great customers in this state, uh, I have to imagine that that'll continue. I mean, listen, continue. we still have the state of Illinois still has a lot of growth potential, and there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of consolidating that's happening in the state, and so far we've been, um, I think, wise enough to avoid those those sorts of transactions. Um, who knows? Who knows? We'll see what happens in the future. But no matter what, uh, it's been a great run, and I'm looking forward to to a few more years of, of fun times. That's awesome, man. I uh, Good luck to you. I can't, uh, you know, I'm excited to watch what happens with you. And, and thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Pleasure. It's great insight. Thank you. All right, Chris. Thanks for watching. If you like what you saw, please click like. Hit that subscribe button because that really helps. And if you want to get notifications when we post new content, click on that bell icon. And I will see you in the next video.